can. Spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to another episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where we take you through every issue of Amazing Spider-Man from the beginning. My name is John Wilson, and with me are Josh Bertoni and Don Grant. Or Don Grant and Josh Bertoni, if Don's feeling left out for being second every time. (laughs) Today we are going to be covering uh, issues three and four of Amazing Spider-Man. I want to thank everybody, you know, who downloaded those first two episodes. Yes, within the space of three short episodes, you have made this the biggest podcast in the universe. And we want to thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, I mean, the, the emails that we've gotten, the responses, and I mean, being on the front page of iTunes, that's just... It's awesome. Yeah, wow. You beat all of Michael Bailey's podcasts combined. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. And Nick and Steve. Yeah, if we're going to keep that in, we might want to give people context. That's <laughs> okay. That's so, that, that the first episode isn't even out yet. <laughs> yeah, we are recording this third episode the night after recording the first and second episode because originally this is all going to be one episode. It just got long. So we're just laughing around and having a good time because these are actually some really good issues we're talking about today. Issues three and four Dr. Octopus and the Sandman. We got some excellent Spider Man for us tonight. Oh, yes. Some milestones, as it were. Yeah, we're still in the phase where every single issue is somebody's first appearance. And we've already kind of met Liz Allen, but, you know, we're going to get her name and some character stuff for her. We're going to meet Betty as well. So that's two girls who both became very big parts of Spider-Man, his first two love interests, if you don't count Sally Avril. That was a love interest in the Untold Tales, right? By Untold Tales, he didn't, you know, he kind of had moved on from her. I mean, there wasn't, they were friendly, though. Like okay. I like I said in another episode, they were friendly. Like she was more friendly to him than the rest of the gang was actually, which makes spectacular Spider-Man TV show hilarious with her. Oh my God, Gork! <laughs> She's like you know? a female Gilbert Gottfried. Okay, yeah. so issue three with a very nice Doctor Octopus cover. Just yeah. to say real quick that this was released on April 9th, nineteen sixty-three, with a cover date of July. And tell us about the issue there, Don. Okay, Amazing Spider-Man issue three, titled Spider-Man versus. The strangest foe of all time, Dr. Octopus. Dun, dun, dun. And, oh, yes, guest starring the Human Torch. Fantasy thrills and now begin. This issue opens up with Spider-Man taking down three goons all at once on the very first page and commenting on how he's getting bored because no one is a threat to him anymore. He kind of wish, wants a challenge. Oh, that's not going to come back to bite him in the butt later on. <laughs> we then cut to a U.S. Atomic Research Center because, you know, this is the 60s and everything's all about science! Science! Weird we cut science. to a, a, a number of researchers commenting on Dr. Otto Octavius and how he's always nicknamed Dr. Octopus because he uses these metal arms to operate dangerous equipment and shield him from radiation. For some reason, an explosion goes off because, once again, science! We cut back to the hospital where Octavius wakes up and finds out that the arms are melded to his body. The radiation has also damaged his mind and given him a certain amount of brain damage, so... As you do, he becomes a mad scientist. And I quote, They are jealous of me, but they want to keep me from my work. But I'll show them I'm stronger than any of them. And so there we have it, a a classic Spider-Man in the making. Octavius breaks out of his um, hospital cell. He takes over the Atomic Research Center. Jameson calls Peter Parker to take some pictures. And Peter is is still very cocky and arrogant, saying, Yeah, this is one big problem because I'm Spider-Man and nothing goes bad for me because I'm Spider-Man. He goes in there, takes on Dr. Octopus, and within 30 seconds gets the crud to kick out of him. You know, it's a spider ass totally handed to him. In fact, Throwing there's actually the one window. guy right, right out the window through, through a branch. Peter Parker is, just, is utterly beaten and depressed. He's like, What do I do now? I've never been beaten before. Is this the end of Spider-Man? Well, no, he was never beaten before. He's never been dropped into a water tower or, you know, anything like that. Right. Of course, the end of Amazing Spider-Man 1, of course, you know, he defeated the chameleon all by himself and everything. He didn't run away crying like a little girl. So. He did run away yeah. crying. <laughs> yeah, and, and he did. Yeah, and the police got the chameleon. So, yeah, no. Uh, didn't even know, as far as he knows, the chameleon's still walking around being a Russian masky dude. Yeah, so, no, he's never been defeated before. Never. Maybe he hasn't read actually Amazing Spider-Man comics. <laughs> yes. yes, he forgot to read the end of the book. Peter runs home and informs Jameson that he's not going to be able to take pictures for him of the, of Doctor Octopus, nor ever again. He's he, he remains depressed throughout the day and until in, in school they're given a demonstration by Johnny Storm, who's been called in to take out Doctor Octopus. Johnny Storm delivers a speech about how to never give up and never say die, and follow the um, the Fantastic Four's creed to never give up no 
no matter how hard the stakes stack up against you. Never really give up. To, never surrender. This really gets up here and, and inspires him to put the mask back on and try to take down Octopus one more time. He gets past the centuries and gets gets back into the atomic research lab and cooks up an experiment to meld the Doc Ock's arms together. A brief fight ensues where he webs Dr. Octopus's glasses and KOs him with right straight to the face. As he shines his signal into the centuries, he leaves Dr. Octopus away for the authorities and goes back to, to Johnny Storm to thank him for inspiring him to never give up. As the issue ends, we see Torch wondering where Spider-Man went, Flash accolading him and berating Peter for not being the man he is, for whatever reason. And Peter Parker ends the issue by saying, Someday I'll tell you why, loudmouth, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. Yes, sir, it's going to be a real pleasure. And that was Spider-Man number three. Now, that last scene reminds me of whenever he does unmask. One of the responses I was looking forward to seeing was Flash Thompson's. And it's kind of disappointing because he's just sitting there watching the TV. And now we get like one panel of a thought bubble from him. And it wasn't really that satisfying. They uh, expanded upon it in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Did they? I may just not be remembering that because I know I read those issues. Flash thought that Peter was like faking for the real Spider-Man. And then like Peter pegs him in the head with the dodgeball. And he's like, wow, you really are Spider-Man. Because you can hit me with a dodgeball. Yeah, (laughs) it's... You know, in all fairness, Peter tried to reveal it to him before. <laughs> There's um, an issue of Web of Spider-Man where they're all tied up. Peter, Betty, and Flash, and they're in, like, a burning building. And Peter is like, oh, the heck with my secret identity. And he, like, breaks out of the ropes. And Flash is like, how'd you do that? And Peter says, my spider strength. And Flash is like, nah, be serious. Not Puny Parker. Okay, so I, I have to say that I really like this cover. I like how Dr. Octopus is all in shadow. I think at the same time that it's kind of funny that he's in shadow because the most interesting part of him, which is his arms, is lit. The only parts of him that are in shadow are the fat guy in the jumpsuit with the glasses. This is another example where my version is always different because I have it. His arms are in silhouette. The only thing that's not in shadow is like his left arm and part of his left leg. But um... Can anything that lives defeat the mighty Dr. Octopus? The answer is yes. Answer? Yeah, I think this is the first full-length story, isn't it? Because it even is, says... Yeah. A yes. book-length thriller. Milestone so, for Amazing Spider-Man has gone out of anthology books into full-length novel-length thrillers. Yeah. Well, they, this... they they do divert into that when they get to that living brain story in a few issues, though. Oh, yeah. Is this the first appearance of his uh, spider signal? Yes! I didn't write it down. I, I looked it up because I wanted to confirm. I was going to write it down, and then I didn't write it down. But you are right. This is the first Spider-Man signal. What do, what do we think of the spider signal? Because I know, I know some, some Spider-Fans who really don't like it because they think it's like impractical or whatever. I like how he gets creative with it sometimes. It's, you know, especially in the Dicko days, like, he used it a lot and got creative with it. It hasn't really been utilized as much since. There's an issue in about 20 issues or so where, like, Flash is tailing him. So (laughs) he purposely just lights the spider signal and, like, Flash, it, like, distracts Flash like a shiny object. He's like, wow, the spider signal. Ooh, something shiny. That must mean (laughs) Spider-Man's coming. Let me stare at it for a while. (laughs) No, I, I like the spider signal. Again, I grew up on these first 20 issues, reading them over and over again. And like you said, Ditko likes the spider signal. I don't think it should be used every issue, but I think it does go too long without being used. I think we should be seeing it every, especially now with the six or eight Spider-Man books so we, have, uh, we have right now, we should be seeing it every couple of three months. I agree. It, it, it is underused. I remember, I think there's an episode of Spider Spider-Man, which we're not gotten to yet. <laughs> In our podcast, where he, um, as a defensive maneuver, he flashes in someone's eyes to get away from them or something, which I liked. Now, this is the Human Torch guest, well, not even guest featuring, but guest appearing in this issue. And I have to wonder, do they still feel the need to use the Fantastic Four characters to boost Spider-Man sales? Because my impression is that the book took off really quickly. Remember, Fantastic Four was their the highest-selling title for the right. longest time. And if you look at like the first 20, 25 issues of Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> the Human Torch is almost a regular supporting character. Right. He mm-hmm. appears a lot. At least at least three more times than I remember. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, uh, well, let's see. You got that living brain issue where, uh, you know, he the does the story in that. Beetle. Uh, the, you, the, the Beetle 20, issue. 21 or 22. Yeah, There's issue the, 17. Uh, right, Green and, Goblin. And then um, I think right after issue 17, it might have been, I think yeah, it was the, issue yeah. 19, where they fight the Sandman together. So this is just without looking. Mind you, these are there's, the ones. There's that- the issue, I think it's issue 18, where he's not being Spider-Man, where he's recovering from the fight the whole time and torches in that. So it's almost yeah. like three issues, 17, 18, and 19, that all have the torch in them. Yeah, the torch appears more than the average which is kind of which is interesting because like yeah it it builds upon a very classic relationship i think it's kind of gone by the wayside these days 
Yeah, it's really not. Yeah, they don't know what to do with it because then there was the mind wipe, which kind of got cleaned up because now the torch knows again. But it's you know, I do like how the torch is the one who got kind of hacked off about it. He's like, I knew who Spider Man was. I've known Spider Man since the beginning. We've been friends, and why don't I remember what he looks like? Well, it's funny because this is actually the torch's uh, first meeting with Peter Parker, and aside from Spider Man and the Human Torch, Peter Parker has a separate relationship with the Human Torch for many years. That becomes anti. They almost went to the same college. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like when, when um, Torch thinks that he's hitting on his on Doris and like Peter like tells him off and some of that. Yeah, and then like Betty cries, Peter's hitting on Doris? How could he do that after I dated Ned Leeds openly? <laughs> but that's, you know, getting, that's getting ahead of our, yeah. So yeah, how is it that Spider-Man's already tired of winning by the third issue? It's not like the first He's a teenager, his attention span and everything. And, <laughs> and you just yeah. gotta get the sense that Spider-Man's an idiot here. He's like, man, I wish somebody would give me a run for my money. It's like, he's, shut he's up! Still, he's still in this cocky mode, I think. Like, from the first, his first appearance, he is, he is really arrogant in his Spider-Man identity. Well, I'll say it again. As much as I like the character, Peter Parker does not always make the best of choices and have the best of perspectives on yeah, things. Yeah, sometimes he's a lunkhead sometimes. Sometimes he's a real lunkhead. I mean, I like the guy, but sometimes he's an ass. <laughs> so what how does... What does everybody think of... Um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, how does... I want to know how Dr. Octopus's nickname started. Of course, he's Everybody wearing the arm. Dr. Octopus. Like, they, they, in the captions, we know his first name is uh, Otto Octavius, but everybody just like calls him Dr. Octopus, even when they're picking him up out of the wreckage. Right, so he's wearing the army doodads, and I'm just wondering, did somebody call him that to make fun of him? Was it a mutual joke between him and the rest of the guys in the coffee room one day? I just wonder, how does somebody pick up a name like Dr. Octopus? Have you seen I feel like Well, yeah, there's been retcons for it, and we've seen little books like Dr. Octopus Year One, and before that there was that Spider-Man Unlimited issue, and I mean, there's been different ones, and honestly, I'm not like too big on Dr. Octopus, so I don't remember all of them. I do remember one version of the origin where it was kind of implied that they called him that behind his back, and that he knew of the nickname. I might be thinking of a different continuity when I say that. One of those things that he resented, but then after the explosion, he took it on himself. Because in his, in the, in his in, own thoughts... In Spectacular Web's... Especially in Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, that was like a, a nickname that he never liked. But when he becomes South Octopus, he just takes on for no reason. I haven't read any of those retconning, you know, fill-in-the-gaps backstory issues. But I do kind of wish that I knew that I had seen more pre-explosion Otto Octavius. Because I've read, it's been suggested that Octopus is like the person Peter Parker could have become. He's all super smart and science geeky but he went villain instead of hero and it well, had, he also had he had an overbearing uh, mother i was just uh, gonna know. say I, I, re- I read a story when i was a lot younger where he, he had like an overbearing mother and like a workaholic father and it was like really messed up family relationship yeah he, and he was beaten i think maybe even uh john mark diamateus may have written that story because usually he gives spider-man villagens origins that they were beaten by their parents what story was that by the way i'll have to read that again I want to say it was an early issue of Spider-Man Unlimited. It may have even been issue three. Let me go to our friends over at spiderfan.org. I remember reading that. Like, I think it was like in a library or something. I remember it this horrible family relationship. Yeah. Where I, doesn't, he, doesn't he kill his mom or something? He got really mad at his mom. You know, like His mom, like, he was going to marry some girl. And his mom, like, was yeah. like, no, denied. And then, like, later, years later, he, like, got really mad at her about it. The <laughs> short road to getting becoming a comic supervillain is to be beaten by your parents. Okay, first of all, uh, the... Dr. Octopus story and obituary for the octopus. That was written by Jack C. Hare. Oh, it tells me the people that worked on the issue. I don't know which one wrote the octopus story, but I guess it wasn't Dean Mateus, so somebody else had the idea that they can be abused. Did you have uh, more on that? Like, what, what issue was it in? It was issue three. Oh, issue um, three of Unlimited. And has there ever been an explanation as to why he wears the sunglasses? Yeah, because the, the eyes at the bottom of page four are basically the only time I've ever seen his eyes. Dr. Octopus, you know, I still think that he's Aunt May's true love. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like the Ross and Rachel of the Spider-Man universe. They just have so much history. and I mean, Do they do anything with them after the whole wedding thing? Cause... Oh, yeah. He comes back to her house and like she cleans him up and he's like, your lover's back from the dead. But then he kind of disappears again and then she dates, uh, you know, she becomes engaged to Nathan and stuff. And then Nathan dies and she, you know, is dating Willie Lumpkin. And then Dr. Octopus comes to her house for Christmas. And he sees I saw that issue. He shows up with flowers or something and he's all sort of 
of like yeah. regretfully polite and she, you know, kind-heartedly turns him away. And then there's like that one issue um, in JMS's run where they're all in Hollywood fighting. And then Aunt May like sees, you know, Dr. Octopus, she's like, Otto? And he's like, May? And then the like new Dr. Octopus to Her, makes like, a Rocky Horror picture Jill, show. Scott, Dr. Foster, yeah. whatever. You don't know what to give up, do you? I, I really like that issue. Yeah. yeah, and then of course when Aunt May like supposedly died, this is how pimp Dr. Octopus is. He had his current girlfriend buy flowers for his dying fiance, ex-fiance, oh, without nice. knowing their history. Nice. Now, what do, what do we think about Dr. Octopus? I remember them talking about him in the crawl space. He's, a, he's like a really notable Spider-Man villain, probably like the most. He was Spider-Man's arch enemy until, Gwen, or until the Goblin killed Gwen Stacy, pretty much. I think even after the Goblin killed Gwen Stacy, because, you know, of course, Norman, spoiler, died after that. I think that Dr. Octopus was probably considered Spider-Man's, like, you know, most notable villain until Norman came back after the Clone Saga. Yeah, because once Norman leaves, Harry is the Goblin, but not very often. It's really pretty rare, if I remember right. Harry took a sweet-ass time to to do anything, though. Like, he took, like, a whole year to come back. Well, even when Norman was around, I mean, there really wasn't that many Goblin stories after Ditko. There was that one Ramita one, which wasn't even in the main title. That it was, was in the Spectacular spectac- Spider-Man. But- yeah, and then the drug storyline, and then Gwen died. Dr. Right. Octopus was really, like, the most notable Spider-Man villain, I think, for the longest time. In my and own I- mind, I would say that Octopus, Goblin, and Venom are probably the, tr- the, the three biggest Spider-Man villains of Spider-Man's history. No comment on Venom. I, 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 I would agree with John. As much as you dislike modern Venom, early 90s Venom kicked ass. <laughs> One of my favorite Dr. Octopus stories is um, is actually, I think, in Con- Conway's run, where uh, at, the, at the very end of the issue, you, you don't know where, where it comes from, but at the very end, there's a whole splash page, and Spider-Man's like, holy cow, Dr. Octopus! And the next time, he, he's actually suffering from a, uh, an ulcer, and Dr. Octopus like, kind of kicks the crap out of him, and then yanks his mask off, but... He like runs away just in time. I really like that issue. It, it, it was the first one. I think I think like it was the one before like the, the Hammerhead uh, Doctor Octopus Gang War story. Yep, that was very early in Conway's run. So Spider-Man's uh, Spider-Sense this issue. He's like, okay, I'm going to use my Spider-Sense to find out what hotel room the Human Torch is in. It's still early on in the books, and they're still being very, very, you know, free-for-all with how uh, the Spider-Sense works. Free loose with it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. He's like climbing. He's like, I'll use my Spider-Sense to know what room the Human Torch is like, But okay. I, I think he can do that, though, sort of. I, I, don't, I don't think that's the balance. I mean, his Spider-Sense is typically used for danger. I think he can sort of, like, kind of tell where people are. See, when it's used for anything other than a danger sense, I kind of call wonky on that. Yeah, I know that I, it has been often used for things other than danger sense, but to my mind, it should just be a danger sense. I love how the Human Torch, he's like, well, um, I used up too much of my flame, so I have to recharge it for a while. Like, Couldn't the FF have sent somebody else? <laughs> and they said that they were on an important case, but I just love that. Like, that ex- because that's usually not a problem for the Human Torch. I mean, right. maybe it's early in his powers and he's learning it. I just love the explanations just thrown in there to give. Well, you know, I, I have to recharge my flame. But here, let me do some tricks with it. Like two plus two equals three. And, you know, all this, even though I need to save my flame for stopping Dr. Octopus, let me use it to give you guys a motivational speech. I like right. the FF only sent one other person to fight like, like an enemy. Like, like they're so stuck up. They can't send like uh, the, the whole team to do it. It's like, oh, Johnny, get this guy. Well, it's only a nuclear power plant being held hostage. It's not like it's any real big deal that could cause a lot of damage. Send the yeah. teenager whose powers are open flames into a nuclear power plant. <laughs> Keep in mind the teenager that, like, you know, is known for being reckless and not thinking things through. You think yeah. somebody could have called Tony Stark to get Iron Man on the case, right? Uh, I'm just saying there, our- uh, there are other superheroes available besides the guy who can't flame on. This is our first indication of uh, Flash Thompson's fandom for Spider-Man, which becomes a very big part of his character, because at the end he makes the comment about how the Human Torch and Spider-Man are blossom. But of course, later on, Flash winds up hating the Human Torch. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Backing up a little bit to the actual initial fight between Octopus and Spidey, page nine, I think is my favorite page of the issue. Because you have the awesome panel with Spider-Man caught in the octopus web, and he just, you know, backslaps him and throws him <laughs> out the window, and he falls through a tree. And it's just that's, like that's the funniest thing. He he, sm- he grabs him, bitch smacks him, and just throws him out the window. That's a boss right there. I love how easily Peter Parker at this point is demotivated too. He's like, well, I lost one fight. That's it. 
Do you well, want to say? Too much credit. He didn't. He didn't like. He didn't like put up a good fight. Like he didn't have much of a chance. So I, I, I can buy it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's. I don't, I don't think oh yeah, it's believable. I just, I just love it because it's like it's so funny how easily he gives up. Is, uh, this funny. is and this is his first time, I believe, giving up being Spider-Man. Although you can debate that maybe issue eighteen was because he didn't. You know, it's kind of ambiguous how much he gave up here. But yeah, it's in this, which becomes like a regular part of the series. Right. Well, this one, is, it's, it's a little more open-ended. Like, he doesn't know what to do instead of saying, oh, I'll never do it again. Well, he does say to Jonah that he's never going to give him any more Spider-Man pictures or any pictures in general. He, like, quits his job and everything. <laughs> I'm so he depressed. Likes, I quit my job. Yeah, you, you know, it's like, he paid rent for a year. I mean, why not relax right, for a while? Right. And this is probably fixed in, uh, you know, the essentials and in Marvel it's, Tales it's... and in every other. But I'll call him Superman. Uh, for those who might have a, a essential or something, it's page eight. The last panel where he's snapping the web. He says, and now, Superman, I grow bored with this game. My time is too valuable. Yeah, the word Spider-Man is like, is like bigger than usual. Because <laughs> they had to correct it. You can always, um, you know, say that the incontinuity reason why that happened was because Ock was, you know, being playful with him. Like, calling him Superman. Like the you know, cartoons they watched that morning on, you know. Actually, like, there, oh, there were no uh, Superman <laughs> cartoons at this point. There were just the George Reeves TV shows. Or maybe the radiation, like, just affected his, you know, brain so bad. Started shifting him into a parallel universe. Now, really and truly, if Spider-Man had actually fused his arms together in that second fight with some sort of acid, they would never operate again without some sort of major overhaul. And I don't think they're going to let him work on his arms in prison. They let him do that? I forget. They let him actually do that. Well, I don't know. It's the only explanation I can think of, because they're fused into a solid block of metal. If he's going to fix that, he's going to have to chop off those blocks of metal and put back in what mechanism makes the arm. Uh, One of the things I realized when I reread this issue is that they say that that I, I was at the impression that even though we see him separated from his arms like a ton of times, they say that his, his the arms are permanently attached to his body. But they actually say that we we can't remove it just yet. We gotta wait a while. So. I, don't, I, I like that fact that it was a little more realistic that they could do it, but at the time, so soon after his accident, they couldn't. Yeah, there's some really stupid stories where, like, he's separated from his arms and somebody's stupid enough to bring them to him. And, like, it's happened more than once. In fact, there's even an Untold Tales issue where there's, like, a trial. And then, like, they bring yeah. out his arms as it, like, Dr. Octopus, like, says that they should bring out his arms as, like, an Exhibit A or something. And then Peter's like, no, you don't realize what you're doing. No. And then, of course, the arms, like, go to him. And Are you gets serious? Out. Yeah. The first time they take off his arms, I remember it being kind of a big deal. Like they they removed them successfully, and they didn't realize he'd be able to control them mentally. I had forgotten though, Don. They, they do say we can't remove those artificial arms yet. The radiation is causing to adhere in his body in some strange way. So yeah, it's pretty cool that theoretically they could do it. I love how he's only being protected by radiation in that experiment by like that like little piece of glass that doesn't yeah. even go all the way around. In in, in my brain, it's like always radi- been. <laughs> the radiation can't like walk around the glass or something. In my radi- in my little brain, it's always been like lead infused glass, but that doesn't make any sense when I say it out loud. So, but it, it the glass within, doesn't even like. He's not inside the glass. He's like it's like he has like a window in fr- like a car window in front of him <laughs> and like nothing else. Like <laughs> he's still in the same room. It's like yeah. I mean, no wonder that experiment went wrong. Although um, in fact, I remember that was a retcon that like because of his mother's death and like other stuff that happened, um, like he was distracted that night and he hadn't slept, and that's why the experiment went wrong that I remember. so on page uh, 20 the next to the last page whenever the uh, soldiers are coming and they see the spider signal they're totally willing to shoot spider-man if he makes the wrong move they're like you're telling me i'm going to shoot first and ask questions later luckily they see octopus webbed up before they see spider-man but you know still it's like what you don't well, they'll notice. go like the same part people try to run him over in af-15 that's what I was about to say. <laughs> what you don't know, is, yeah, I was like, what you don't know is those are the same two people. I mean, <laughs> they were driving the car. Speaking speaking of crazy intentions, uh, now you mentioned Josh and um and Maze Fantasy Fifteen, how how weird it was that uh, Uncle Ben and like you know, oh, can I hold out Russell now, man? Like, okay, on page five, like the like like the middle panels where you see um minutes later, you wanted to see me, Doctor Octopus? Yes, come in, shut the door behind you. What is it? You. Oh no, no! Ha ha! You don't see, you don't believe what you see, but it's true. I'm all powerful. From now on, I give the commands here. This is just like the moment whenever Peter and Mary Jane go into his apartment and close the door behind her, and that's all you see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> I know. Oh. Well, he's learning new tricks with those tentacles. <laughs> you know what? Tentacles is a whole new, like, you know, genre now. Yeah. 
<laughs> D- yeah, don't even go there. Uh, so yeah, this is a really solid issue. I, I really like the Doctor Octopus fight. It's strong. He's not retarded like he is in some issues. <laughs> I mean, the thing. Well, the thing with with you know comics that last forty years is that you're going to have so many wonky stories, and even the best villains are going to have really crap stories. And I've seen some really retarded Doctor Octopus, and this is not. This is really good. I, I they get kudos for this introduction here. He's pretty awesome. I agree. He's, he's like a mad scientist, but he's still he's like he's evil. He's he's a really evil person. So in this one, and one last thing I want to say, like for for this issue, is like, I really I really like some of the some of the Peter Parker faces here. Like some some of some of them they're just drawn really well. Like when he takes a mask off after he's been beaten and he's like sort of teary-eyed and um, the next page where he calls Jameson to say he can't do turn in photos the panel where he's like determined after hearing the torture speech and like the last panel where he's like laughing at the other side of his mouth at a flash I really, I really like some of these faces I thought Dicko just it just gets better and better in some respects and Peter does not get a lot of screen time in this issue but the screen time he does get is really effective with the cockiness yeah. at the beginning and then the whole emotional journey he goes on just in two pages in the middle of the book after he gets defeated the first time from being sad and defeated to being confident and grateful to the torch for bringing him out of his dumps which and if then, this was a current series like it would be like two or three issues before he'd, you know, get motivated again. Right. Or at least another issue, yeah. But, you know, there are 60,000 words on just these two pages, so, as opposed to a modern comic, which has, like, you know... Six words. Six <laughs> words on each page. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does say at the very end that this is the first time he doesn't deliver photos to Mr. Jameson. <laughs> it actually says that at the very end. Oh, yeah. And this is only the second... I mean, this is the first issue since he got that job. There is a pretty cool Ditko Spider-Man pinup page in this book. And they were smart enough to put ads on the backside instead of story. So it was just an ad for selling grit and another one for a hypno coin. So if you didn't need grit or a hypno coin, you could uh, put this uh, pin up up on your wall. And if you wanted to cut it out of your comic, it's a it's a pretty cool shot of Spider-Man. Hypno coin. A hypno coin. It's like a little uh, pog thing, if that word still has any meaning for people, uh, with a black and white spiral on it. It's like the sort of thing you get out of a gumball machine now. But seriously, you can like hypnotize people and make this girl walk like a mummy like she's doing in the picture. The Hypno-Toad. Oh, yes. The Hypno-Hustler. Oh, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to him in like, <laughs> in, like, in like 90 years. Yeah, it'll be a while. There is another cool ad page. Uh, this one's for the debut of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, which, uh, as we said before, is filling the publishing gap left by the Incredible Hulk. And uh, it says that it's in um, action in the Spider-Man style. And I have to wonder what could possibly be in common between World War II battle stories and Spider-Man. Everything. Everything. <laughs> but this was Marvel's first regular war comic since Battle was canceled in 1960. And they were going to try their new method of storytelling on it, so I guess. I don't, I've never read these Sergeant Furies. I don't go in for war comics. Um, but the bottom, of pa- the bottom half of the page is a cool don't miss the return of Dr. Doom in the new greater than ever issue of Fantastic Four. And he's a Kirby drawing of of Dr. Doom. It's actually kind of a retarded drawing of Dr. Doom, but I was was going to say what, uh, how far were FFN issues? Were they like in their twenties by this time? Twenties sounds right. I can, I can, it was, it was around there. There, there's about 20 issues or so separating them from Spider-Man at this point. If I recall, Amazing Spider-Man 3 was accompanied by Fantastic Four 16. Ah, oh, I thought okay. it was much later. Okay. Yeah. Well, they I were bi-monthly like... for a while, so it, it was November 61. They've been out for a year and uh, two and, I can't count, a year and a half by now. So yeah, 16 issues. Okie dokie. So, one thing that a lot of podcasts don't do that I thought might be interesting is if there is anything interesting in the letters pages. I thought I would bring it to the table um, since I actually have access to them. And there's not always, so I won't always mention them, but there is a lot of praise in this letters page for the first issue of Spider-Man. Somebody was asking questions, clarifying his powers. Um, They were already wanting him to go monthly, and they were already requesting to keep him more street level and not send him off into space with aliens. And... (laughs) Okay, we'll have the aliens come to him. <laughs> right, right. And there was a crazy kid who wanted Spider-Man to get a secret partner to help keep his identity secret, which is, I, I think we can all agree, is we're thankful they never did that. A secret yeah, well, it, it works so much better the way it does now. But I think I think it would be interesting as a what if. I remember there was a fan that wrote into one of these early Lee Dicko issues that basically requested them to create a character, and the character that that, that fan was describing was very close to what Mary Jane would become. They wanted, like, Peter Parker to have a cool, hip 
girlfriend that listened to rock and roll and danced and that was in the and that would defend him against the bullies and stuff and <laughs> so issue four uh was released on june 11th which is three days before my birthday if i were alive uh with a cover date of september uh this was uh, the same day that strange tales annual 2 came out which we'll talk about next time and it features the sandman and josh tell us about this issue mr sandman bring me a dream well, Spider-Man's dream is to catch some crooks, and hey, what do you know? There's some crooks about to break into some place, so he goes to catch him, and when he does, he's like, ah, we're going to have you arrested for assault and battery, because we haven't even broken into anything yet, and he's like, dag nabbit, I should have waited till they started robbing the place, and then the cops <laughs> come, and he's like, okay, I'm out of here, so he's like, man, no one trusts me, it's all that Jameson's fault, so I'm going to leave a souvenir, you can't see me doing the dink dink arms, in his office. And after that's done, he runs in the Sandman, and we get a scene kind of straight from the cover where he's surprised about the Sandman's powers. And there's a fight. Peter Parker's thrown off, and uh, his mask gets ripped. And he decides to run off after imagining what would happen. And oh, the horrors, including Aunt May selling shoelaces for 10 cents, which is funny because uh, <laughs> I should probably explain the context of that because I'm like, yeah, because how, how do you go from his mask being ripped to Aunt May selling uh, shoelaces for 10 cents? Let me actually read and describe that one out loud. And it's awesome glory. Yay, awesomeness. Yeah, even if I could, I don't dare capture him now. Then he sees himself capturing Sandman, unmet, but he's unmasked, and he says, So you got me, so what? Soon as the police grab me, I'll let him know who you really are. Once my secret is out, J. Jonah Jameson will never stop pounding me. To think that that public menace lived right on our midst, hiding beneath the mask of respectability. He must be expelled from school, driven from town. Lock him up for life. I don't want decent teenagers to associate with him. He's just an overgrown delinquent. Okay, so do you want him locked up or run from town and expelled? It, you, know? <laughs> you can't have both. <laughs> yeah, you just like run him from town and then get him. And then lock and him it, up somewhere else. And then he sees in himself order. in jail, in full costume with his glasses on. And if Aunt May, and Aunt May, if I'm driven from town, what'll happen to her? And Aunt May, she looks like an old spinster woman. Don't worry about me, Peter Darling. I'm just an old lady. It's you who matters. And then she's holding a box that says for sale, shoelaces, 10 cents. Because there's a big market for shoelaces. Right. <laughs> now, we do have on record here that Aunt May's wish is that Peter always take care of himself. So if she's ever lying, you know, on death's oh. door, it's a choice between her and the... Never mind. She'll just sell his <laughs> shoe. If Peter sold his shoelaces to Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want your love. I want your shoelaces. <laughs> oh, I only have nine cents. Oh, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so Peter runs off, and the Sandman's like, ah, oh, you chicken. So the Sandman goes to continue his robbing spree while Peter goes home to sew his costume. And you see here that he doesn't have good sewing skills, which is funny because how did he make the costume in Amazing Fantasy 15? Right. From scratch. The, the world will never know. And then um, he sees some <laughs> exposition on TV. Excuse me when I say exposition. That basically says what the Sandman's origin is. Uh, he basically has the Hulk's origin, except, you know, <laughs> he turned to sand instead. I'm going to mention Chapter 1 again. No. Yeah. Well, because John Byrne, actually, he hated the fact that there were so many nuclear accidents in the Marvel Universe. So he wanted to, like, make less explosions. So his idea was to have Sandman be hiding in Rick Jones's trunk. And that's why the Sandman, like, was in the same explosion as the Hulk. But then he's like, then there would have been a green Sandman. So that didn't make sense. So did he and Rick Jones have a whole S&M thing going on? Is there anything John Byrne doesn't hate? But he has more hate than than Jason. I know. He has so many problems with a lot of these early stuff. It's really... I can do it better because I'm John Byrne. Well, I have never read Chapter 1. When I do read it, I'm determined to judge it solely on its own merits. Like, if this were a brand new story. Because... I get the impression that he was trying to catch his Man of Steel lightning in a bottle again, and it just didn't work. Well, all those ideas were Marvel Wolfman's work, So Aunt May comes in, and he wants to get rid of her because, you know, uh, he needs to sew his costume. So she's like, oh, dear, you're so ill. What am I going to do with you? You must stay in bed. So while all that's happening, Sandman is, you know, going across the city, making havoc for everyone. And Aunt May finally decides to, you know, leave Peter alone for a little while. He sews his costume, he comes down, and she's like, Ma, you're feeling much better. And then they talk about Jameson, who owns the Daily Bugle and Now magazine at this point in the, at this point in the series. 
because they've kind of been, you know, choosing one or the other issue by issue. Mm-hmm. So Aunt May's like, oh, don't forget your umbrella, dear. And of course, because we have to emphasize irony at every turn, Peter's like, boy, if the world ever found out that Spider-Man had to carry an umbrella and promise not to exert himself, isn't that ironic? Ha ha ha. I added that little last part, of course. So Joanna comes in and is greeted by his secretary, Miss Brantz. Uh, very impressed. Yay, yeah, Betty! Yeah, yeah, she's not Betty yet. She's just Miss Brand. Actually, uh, the funny thing is, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. The two love interests that are introduced to this issue, Liz and Betty. We only get a first name for Liz, and we only get a last name for Betty. Next issue, we get Liz's last name and Betty's first name. Oh, okay. Yeah, and ironically enough, we later find out that like Betty's like full name is Elizabeth Brand, and. Uh, Liz Allen is eventually called Elizabeth, so they actually have the same same name. That's really funny. Jonah sits in his chair, and he sees the little surprise that Peter left for him, and no, it's not a bag of poo or something, it's just web. That would be funny, though. Yeah, he can't get out of the chair, so he has to take his pants off, and he orders Miss Brand to get him a new pair of trousers. Now, either he he or the chair is going to have to be really flexible for him to take his pants off. I'm wondering if he, like, sent her to the store to get a new set of trousers, but the way that the scene's set up, it looks like, you know, there was a spare set somewhere in the office, which leads me to believe that for some reason J. Jonah Jameson has spare sets of trousers lying around his office just in case. Just in case. Which leads me to believe that something like, like, Betty doesn't seem phased by the fact that she's getting him a new pair of trousers, so you have to wonder how many times something like this has happened where, like, through the course of the busy newspaper day, Jonah's lost his pants and Betty's had to get him some more. So we get Betty and Peter's first interaction. She's like, oh, there's JJ's young photographer, Peter Parker. Would you bring these trousers into Mr. Jameson, Peter? He's in a, such a bad mood, I'd hate to face him. Sure, Miss Brands. And, to, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, Peter comes. Yeah, nothing wrong with sending the underage boy, you know, <laughs> give pants. In, into his boss's office when he's not wearing pants. I mean, there's no lawsuit there whatsoever. Not that anything inappropriate's going on, but I can tell you right now that, like, if this happened in the modern days, somebody would do a lawsuit. Probably. <laughs> so Peter Peter wants an advance on his next check so he can, you know, make some special webbing for Sandman. And he's like, advance! Ah, ah, Parker! Ah, yeah, yeah, teenagers, I hate you all! Ah. Get some pics of Sandman and try and prove that he and Spider-Man might be the same person. Which is funny because Jameson pulls that like two or three more times. He thinks that like every villain is Spider-Man in disguise. <laughs> you, you get the point at this time that Jameson's just paranoid in general. This is, the, this is where, up till now, Jameson has been a mostly believable character. This is where he starts to kind of go off the rails into his more caricature kind of person that he is from now on. I mean, what is there in common between Spider-Man and Sandman that you would say they're the same person other than your own irrationality? Now, I'm not sure just how far the school is from the Daily Bugle's office, but you get the feeling that Peter goes to school relatively close to his house and that the Daily Bugle offices are in the city. So he goes off from his house to the Daily Bugle and then to school before, like, the first bell. How early was he waking up, and how fast was he... What? He's a super-fast spiderweb swinger. Now, well, and like, was... Before he was uh, web-swinging across town, he just he doesn't, he doesn't actually like, do that to travel yet. Yeah, you see, he's kind of walking, you know? You get the feeling, too, that at this point in the series, Stan hadn't really established, you know how close everything was like, you know, I don't, he's catching don't, the bus. The bus is stopping outside the bugle building. He's getting on the bus oh, yeah. and the bus is dropping him off at school. I, uh, yeah, it's, I think that at this point, like it hadn't Queens and forest Hills hadn't been established and Midtown high could be anywhere. I mean, he could be living relatively close to the city for all we know. So Liz is explaining the flash. Cause flash just can't believe that, you know, Uh, Liz would go out with someone like Peter. She's like, well, it just broke my heart all the times that he asked me out. So I figured I'd, you know, throw him a bone here. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Liz. Suffering cats. Yeah. Yeah. Suffering cats. I forgot all about my date with Liz tonight. I'll have to break it because he's got to look for the Sandman. So he says that he has to study for the exam. Peter Parker, you're the top student in the class. If you can't spare one evening for a date, then I'm sorry for you. Goodbye. You know, she has a point. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially because she's like, you know, he, he you get the feeling that he's asked her out like a million plus times. 
and she's finally and, Dane. And she said no, and she said yes. You know, now for the first time, and and he's canceling it. So yeah, I mean, I'd be like, you know what, whatever. So Sandman, he's running from the cops, and he makes his way to the school, and you know, while Peter's you know walking around, he sees a janitor, who's leave him there, sonny. I'll get rid of him. He's talking about some you know stuff that Peter's putting away. I'll get rid of him as soon as I adjust the new king-size vacuum cleaner, which is not set up for anything at all. That's not a check... Does anyone know the concept of a Chekhov's gun? Yes. Okay, uh, yeah. It's basically like, if if you take a moment in a story to point something out, like a gun on the wall, that means that it's going to be used later. And the vacuum cleaner is a big Chekhov's gun. Let me Let me just fix up this plot device right here, and then I'll take care of those bottles. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't know how. And then Peter's looking at the jan, the school janitor, saying he doesn't know how lucky he is. No worries, except keeping the school clean. No nutty villains to chase like I have. Okay, are you really jealous of the school janitor? Right, really? <laughs> dude. Put some. He's a teenager. Some, he is a teenager. I know, like, and that's the thing about being a teenager. Every single problem is the worst problem ever. And oh, everyone doesn't know how lucky that they are. So Sandman comes into the, you know, at one of the classrooms, and Prince, Principal Davis, I believe this is his first appearance, he's there. Yes, and Sandman's is. like, oh, cool, get me a diploma. I never finished school. And, <laughs> is that what it says? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know, you have to earn a diploma, right? <laughs> Luckily, Spider-Man comes in before the Sandman can humiliate himself any further. And Spider-Man tries to draw <laughs> the fight. Yeah. Spider-Man tries to draw the fight away from the kids. That way no one will get hurt. Supposedly this is a retcon first appearance of uh, Jessica Jones, by the way. Uh, Oh, is she in this classroom? Yeah, on the bottom panel of page 12, that girl that's right next to Flash Thompson. Bottom right? Is that Jessica Jones? Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, they did like a backup story recently where it was revealed that that was her. I know that they did her origin story in her alias series. I, I imagine that you were referencing that, but... Well, yeah, this wasn't an alias. This was in something else. I mean, yeah, Alias did establish that she knew Peter Parker from high school and that she had a crush on him. Alias was an awesome series. I really enjoyed it. So they're continuing the fight, and of course, you know, Sandman, he's kicking Peter's butt left and right, and then Peter remembers, wait a second, in about 20 years, there's going to be a movie called Ghostbusters. Let me take a tip from that. So he takes that vacuum cleaner, (laughs) a.k.a. plot device, and vacuums Sandman up. He should just always have a vacuum cleaner from now on. Just carry a spider vacuum on his belt so that every time he sees a Sandman, he can do this. Woo! Got him at last. That heavy canvas bag will hold him for sure. Too bad I could have gotten some pictures out of our fight. Old Jameson would pay a fortune for him. Say, why not? Maybe with a little ingenuity, I can still (laughs) furnish the pics to J.J., I'll take the camera out of my belt. There. I got it set to automatic timer. Now the bucket of sand will come in real handy. And he tosses sand in the air and takes pictures of him. Like, <laughs> this is sand. so really dubious. This is, <laughs> the, this is the anti-gravity sand. <laughs> oh, it's okay, because he even says, since this really happened a few minutes ago, it can't be unethical. It's like this shooting can't... a retake of a movie. <laughs> no, it's not at all. It's not at all. My favorite part is like when he dives in the middle of the air into, into the sand. It was so like ridiculous. I saw him. Like anyone's gonna buy this. <laughs> and it's really funny because, like, you know, the whole thing about Peter faking pictures. Yeah, that just came back to bite him in the butt in uh, the latest issue, as of this recording, of Amazing Spider-Man. Okay, yeah, he uh, faked some pictures for Jay to like exonerate J. Jonah Jameson from. Uh, you know, uh, being a having mafia ties, but Jameson basically threw him under the bus and said, "You fake pictures, you're fired." And he did it in a public press conference and everything. Just for the future, people, what is the number of the latest issue of Amazing? Six twenty-five. Six twenty-four. So we only have six hundred twenty issues to go for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, by the time we get there. So. So Spider-Man brings the vacuum cleaner bag out, and Jameson's like, ah, arrest him, arrest him. And Peter's like, I can't be arrested. So he lowers the vacuum cleaner and swings away. And then Jameson, like, goes into the school and, like, grabs Peter. is like, where are the pictures? I want your pictures. Yeah, so he gives him the pictures. And Peter's like, oh, this is great. I can go, I can go on my date with Liz now. There she is. Wait up, Liz. Well, 
look who's here, Mr. Bookworm of 1963. Not the fighting's over. You finally came out of Heine. What is it, Peter? I happen to be quite busy. Don't get angry, Liz. I just wanted to tell you that I can take you out tonight after all. Really? Perhaps we should declare a national holiday. Sorry, Mr. Parker, but I have other plans. <laughs> Meaning yours truly, Punk. Now run along and find your umbrella. You brainless loudmouth, you've insulted me for the last time. I'm going to wipe that stupid leer off your face right now. Well, well, so the bookworm finally turned. Okay, worm, I've been waiting for this. And if you look at Liz, she looks like there's a nuclear explosion going on. Like her hands are in the air. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. Even though she's kind of pissed at Peter, she doesn't actually want him to get hurt. And personally, I've never understood the mindset of a person who actually wants to beat somebody else up for, you know, whatever reason. I just I just don't get that. So I, I don't really understand Flash at all here, but I can see why Liz would not want it to happen. Yeah, well, Peter realizes that... Flash kind of wanted to fight Peter because he thought he was stepping up. Yeah, well... Peter's like, ah, you know what? I have spider strength. This isn't a good idea. So he's like, ah, forget it. You're not worth the trouble. And then Flash is laughing. Ha ha, you're a chicken. So they all drive off, and Liz kind of gives Flash, takes the Flash to task for being a little cruel to Peter. And then he's like, women, I thought you were mad at him. And then Peter walks by a bunch of people around a newspaper stand who are all discussing Spider-Man and how Spider-Man sucks and Jonah's right. And now... This was the 60s, and mass media was different back then. I wasn't around, but the people actually do this in the 60s, all stand around newspaper stands discussing things like this. I would think there... My impression is that there was a lot more interaction between people. Like, just... We're now a lot more much closed off in public and in crowds and everything. I I could imagine this happening. And I think Ditko really took advantage of these public crowd scenes in his books and just, you know, splashing 50 speech bubbles on a picture of a crowd just to give you an example of what everybody's thinking. I think also it could be the fact that maybe Peter is like, there are probably some people talking about, but he's maybe in his mind thinking more than actually maybe that there actually are. And maybe over-exaggerating his head a little bit. It's not explicit, but that could be going on. So, yeah. And then, uh, Peter has that one final page where he's standing with his mask off, but his glasses on. Right. And I don't think that he wears his glasses under his mask, so it's like really weird. I don't know, but just talking about how much his life sucks. And that's the end of the issue. <laughs> it ends on a downer. It's like the first issue, and like on the, the first four issues and AF15, where, I mean, actually, actually, there's only, there's only been one happy ending in the entire series. Which one are you thinking yeah. of? Like, oh, I, where I, he uh, I, has the, the end of the Vulture story, right? Yeah, well, actually, number three in the, in the Koala happening. But... And I, I just want to point out that whenever I'm feeling sad and lonely, I always stand in front of a big pink spotlight in my room. No, of course. Why, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I was also thinking, just to, to go back to what you were saying about the crowd scene, that this could also be like a time-lapse kind of thing. Like, these are just all the conversations he heard as he went home that day. Yeah. By the way, they called Mr. Bookworm of 1963. Maybe you can wreck on that by saying that, like, you know, they're saying that he dresses like he's out of the 60s or something. <laughs> well, the thing about that is that everybody's here, everybody here in the Dickowiches are just like they're from the 50s, not the 60s. Liz looks like an old maid. Yeah, no, she's dressed like a dead person. Flash Thompson looks like he's from Happy Days. And <laughs> Peter looks like an old man. Or, or, he dresses like an old man, at least. Yeah, nobody. Then that's one thing that Ultimate did is like at least people dressed like teenagers. Right. Like Peter was wearing a South Park T-shirt in that one issue. I love seeing Peter's different T-shirts. I think it's great. You wore a Jawel shirt in that issue, which I didn't care. Like, but like Liz, I mean, she's dressed like you know she's going to like the ball. So, what did y'all think of the cover on this book? It was really wacky. <laughs> that's why I'm called the Sandman. It's, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's like it's actually a comic strip on the cover. It's a four-panel cover instead of having one big picture. It has a four-panel comic strip style. I think it's kind of cool. The sand effects are always drawn really well in the year. He has a great face. He's rough. He's ugly. I think Ditko does a great job with his face. And he's of course, really ugly. <laughs> I talk about Ditko's faces all the time, but you know, I really like it in this book. Ugly, ugly, some of them. Yeah, but uh, I, I, I like I like the fact that um. Sandman, he's he's actually like really like just like a, a like like he goes in the classroom and demands a diploma. What kind of what, what kind of plot plot point is that? <laughs> it's like to give him something to do while he's in there until Spider Man jumps in. But yeah, the I mean, principal I, I, Davis had some nice waivers there, actually standing up to the guy. Well, yeah. he gets people bursting in asking for diplomas all the time. <laughs> you can't have that. 
I mean, the chameleon just did it last week, and he's like, no, thank you, Kami. I like, I like uh, the concept of uh, Spider-Man fighting in his classroom with his classmates looking in, looking at it. I, like, I really like that idea, but um, that, like, the idea of Sandman like, being in the first place is ridiculous. Yeah, the, the, whenever whenever his battles go into the high school, the, I mean, it's always kind of contrived. Why are we in the public high school? Why are we in Peter Parker's high school? Yeah, which yeah. Ultimate Spider-Man does a lot. It really does. A lot. It's like... To the point where, like, everyone, like, knows that Spider-Man goes to their school, like, by, <laughs> by a certain point in the series. They're like, yeah, Spider-Man goes to our school. We know it. Oh, yeah. Flint, yeah, Flint Marco. That's the name that's given this issue. And William Baker's later given it another book. So that's all. It all ties together eventually. Turns out he had to teach, like, Flint Marco was an alias because he had a teacher named Miss Flint who he, like, wanted to bone. Sandman so, goes on a very big journey, too, because he's, you know, he becomes an Avenger at one point. Yeah, he's he, he's not really just a Spider-Man villain. In fact, he spends a lot of time not being a Spider-Man villain, appearing in lots of other people's books besides this uh, this one. He becomes a hero for a while, joins the Wild Pack, and then... Silver Sable? Yeah. Byrne and Mackie made him a villain again. Oh, are they the ones that did that to him? Yeah. I did not. I did not like his frightful four costume that he wore for so long. <laughs> I like the green striped sweater or you know long sleeve shirt and the brown pants. That is the Sandman. Oh, you know what else John Byrne did? Oh God, we're gonna be talking about John Byrne so much for these first few episodes. He made Sandman a cousin of Norman Osborn because he oh, wanted to explain why they had the same hair. Oh gosh. Why John, John Byrne? Like flip. John Byrne thinks that all these things need to be explained. He thinks that there needs to be less explosions and you know stuff. And well, they have the same hair, you know, because you know only one family in the Marvel universe should have the same hair. So let me explain that they're cousins. Yeah. That was not necessary. It was not necessary, not and, it hasn't been, and, it, and it has not been mentioned since, thank God. Um, we didn't do first appearances last issue because the only first appearance was Dr. Octopus, and I think we've covered just about everybody in this issue. We had Sandman and Principal Davis, uh, Davis and Betty, Betty Brandt. Uh, Betty Brandt, first. whose first name revealed next issue, Liz Allen, first last name revealed next issue, and her last name is spelled in her first appearance, A-L-L-A-N, and that's the official canonical way that it's spelled according to the Marvel handbooks. That's the official way, and they say that anytime it's spelled A-L-L-E-N, it's a misspelling, and yet there's still writers, still writers who spell it A-L-L-E-N, including as recent as Sensational Spider-Man. Yeah, I think it's spelled with an E more often than it's spelled with an A. Some, some Just, people misspell Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn. Like, they get those, those, those surnames E's when they don't need them. Yeah. Which is funny because there's one clone saga book where they misspell Gwen Stacy's name within the span of one page. Like a few panels later, they have a different spelling than they did like a, two panels earlier. That, that letterer was uh, not paying attention to his job. It must have been it John Duffy. It was the clone saga. They, you know... There was a lot of pot being smoked. And <laughs> <laughs> so the um, the whole secret identity paranoia on page five, uh, whenever his mask tears, my thought whenever I'm reading this is there's no way the Sandman is going to know who you are. You know, if <laughs> obviously he I mean, we, we can tell from later developments of the story that he has no way of catching the guy right now. But running from the fight at this point is very, very silly. He's, He's not a gonna... paranoid teenager, though. So he, even though there's no logical way, Peter's not thinking logically. He's a teenager. Yeah, He's not thinking no, logically. I, 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 He's yeah, imagining shit. If, if I was in this situation, I would have seen felt the same thing. Honestly, you know, even even if he really did not have a way to know who he was, it was probably not a smart idea to fight with an asshole. But I do like the Sandman. I love his power set. I've always thought he was a cool, cool idea. Very uber powerful. Almost more powerful than Spider-Man really should have in his book. Yeah, he's actually very powerful. He just—he's just an idiot. <laughs> now he, he wears the Spider-Man suit under his clothing, and I'm thinking that what if he wanted to put on a T-shirt? I know that he always wears a shirt and tie and suit to school, but shouldn't he give himself the option of wearing short-sleeved clothes? Well, no, he—he he never has worn T-shirts unless he doesn't wear this. Wears you get the feeling that Aunt May and Uncle Ben buy all of his clothes for him, and Aunt May doesn't want him to wear short sleeves because he might catch a cold. And, and then maybe they were, they were just like so old fashioned, but that like they that they just bought him like all these dorky clothes like that. Uh, yeah, you were talking about people dressing as the fifties. Uh, I think that whatever standard of dress is done in the rest of the comics, Peter Parker's always going to be a, a stage or two behind. He's never mm-hmm. going to quite know what's going on with the clothes. The women's hair, the fact that like, everybody wears ties, but a lot of people wear hats outside. Like 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 doesn't 
was like James has like a pot boiler in his head or something like that. Well, Stan Lee is still very establishment at this point in his life. It's not till the late sixties, early seventies that he starts realizing that you know all the issues that the world is dealing with are actually pretty important and being <laughs> establishment's not exactly the best thing. Say what? I love how you say that. Like Stanley realizes that like there's important things in life. Well, you know, he starts bringing you know women's lib and drugs and you know a, a negative attitude towards the war into his comics. Cause, but in the early '60s, it's all you know, yay democracy, down with the communists. America is the best thing in the world. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, his and Ditko's uh, creation of these characters and their look and everything was flavored by that. Uh, well, yeah, these are these are Ditko design characters, which are very you know black. Jonah's starting to become a cheapskate in this story. Uh, he he's known by that now. It's like his middle name after the first two J's. Um, but this is the first time we actually see him getting really cheap as far as taking the development out of his salary and all that other crap, um, and and turning uh, Peter down for a, a advance. Although I think that's actually a pretty reasonable thing. I don't know why Peter's asking for an advance. Because he's a teenager and the world revolves around him. <laughs> Here's the film, Mr. Jameson. I don't have time to have it developed. That's all right. Don't worry about it. I'll take the cost out of developing out of your pay. Exactly. Betty Mm -hmm. also goes through a big de-aging between this issue and the next one. Like, here she actually looks like she can be an older secretary, which I think that at the point that this issue was written, there was no intent for Betty to become the character that she was going to become. They were probably thinking that Liz was going to be the love interest, and they decided to further establish Betty more, and I don't know if you know this or not, or if this has been brought up to you, but Betty's actually supposedly younger than Peter, according to uh, what Stanley said in the letters page. Right, he's, she's a year younger and dropped out of school. Yeah. Which I, I, I still have trouble buying. <laughs> yeah, well, I that's... Always, I always, one of the issues thinking that like she was like three years older than him, and I don't know why it's still... A lot of writers forget that, too, that she was uh, younger than him. But, I mean, it's from Stan's mouth, so... Because he doesn't mention the comments, I don't think he knew it to begin with. Yeah, well, like, people were writing in saying, you know, why would Aunt May even approve of such a relationship and, you know, all this stuff. And here's here's your another John Byrne mention. Because John Byrne even, like, had Betty say in Chapter 1, I can't believe I fell in love with a younger man. How stupid of me. I'm not counting it because it's John Byrne. It's John Byrne. I was like, 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 let's, let's refrain from the John Byrne from now on. Yeah, no more John Byrne for the rest of this episode. <laughs> you guys kill well, the episode, the episode's almost over, so... <laughs> So the whole Liz Allen... I don't hate John Byrne. I just hate Chapter 1. Right. Oh, I love John Byrne. For the I, record, before people, you know, like, I get the Byrne lovers all over me. I'm re- I've been reading his uh, his and Claremont's early uh, X-Men stuff in the early 80s, and I read all of his Superman stuff from Man of Steel on for the next couple of years he did there, and I, I, I really enjoy it all. But the oh, whole yeah. Liz Allen date break thing is uh, installment number one in a five zillion part series of Spider-Man life interfering with Peter Parker life. Yeah. He and Liz never actually get to date, too. And it's, it's kind of sad, because after they graduate high school in part way, she comes back for an issue, like, two years later, and she needs Peter's help, and he's feeling all sad that... He well, kinda... It was more like... It was, like, a hundred issues later. Yeah, she she, 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 they graduate, and then she, comes, she does come out, like, three issues later, just as a cameo. And then yeah. you, don't see her, you don't see her again until, like, the 180s. Yeah, when she comes no, back, no, it's uh, Harry Osborn. No, not, no, it wasn't the 180s, because it was the one, like, 30s with Molten Man. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of something uh, maybe 10 or 20 issues after he graduates high school, she shows up at an issue. Yeah, no, yeah, we, we didn't see Liz. Bef- you know, after Gwen appeared, Liz was gone, because we'll talk about we it when we see Gwen. I mean, look, despite what Gwen's character is, I think that we can agree when we read the book, she was a replacement for the Liz character. Oh, Gwen oh. Stacy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then after Gwen died, I mean, and we and after Gwen first appears, we don't see Liz until after Gwen dies. They like, I think that they realized that they needed more people in the gang, so they brought back Liz, and and then they had her hook up with Harry in the one fifties, and then get engaged in the one seventies, which was like really effing fast. <laughs> I really like the fight sequence between uh, Spider Man and Sandman. Uh, it's my, it's it's a really cool part of the issue with the, the stage fight or the actual fight. <laughs> not not the stage fight for the camera. No, the actual fight. I, you know, just and, and my favorite part of it is the rolling downstairs as a sandball. I think that's genius. You know, heading for uh, getting him to wrap himself all up, which is kind of weird psychologically that Sandman's like rubbing himself all up on Spider-Man. But you know, le- we'll leave that on the table. Um, I'm a very lewd podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a weird guy. I hope I don't scare you all away. Honestly, I, I know, I know, I know. We kind of poke fun at the, how melodramatic Peter can get, but I, I think that 
like like for the way it's done, like it it it's realistic, like how he kind of sits in class and can't concentrate and worries about his secret identity and everything. I think I, I, I always like that kind of stuff. I love yeah. how they have that little footnote about who Mr. Fantastic is. It's like, wow, he's moving just like Mr. Fantastic. Notes, the leader of the Fantastic Four. Because that book needs pimping. <laughs> because yeah, people, don't know, be people don't know who he's talking. Like, can you imagine if they did that in a modern comic, which they don't really do footnotes nowadays anyway, but like a footnote. I miss footnotes. I do too, but sometimes they get obnoxious. It depends on like, it depends on how they're used. Yeah, a lot of the stuff they've done in the last couple of years with footnotes in the Spider-Man books, they just like they're trying to do something social with the reader that is not really working for them. I just want a footnote saying when this happened and sign your name in a funny oh, way. It's and that's okay. It. There, there was one comic book where the footnote said, "Just see the movie." Like they're <laughs> like they're like Harry was the Green Goblin. See Spider-Man three, and it's like what? No, what do you know? Why? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Please. Oh, that's the question. So the two annuals of the year, Strange Tales Annual 2 and Fantastic Four Annual 1, get an ad page. I actually had thought about doing Fantastic Four Annual 1 as the the backup story on this episode, but um, I don't want to do that because of time. So we'll cover the two annuals and um, some issues next episode. The Avengers number 1 also gets a big plug with the tagline, The Greatest Superheroes in Comics. Dun-dun-dun. When there was like four members or five members in those first few issues. I know, and it, actually it was, I, I've read a lot of the early Avengers, and they their count does not go up very much. Of course, they have a lot of fluctuation, but they, they haven't gotten to the massively huge teams that they would get later on. Sergeant Fury's third issue gets a full page write-up. I guess they're really trying to get readers to give that one a chance. And I guess that was popular, because Sergeant Fury lasted for 100 plus issues. Oh yeah, that, that, that was, I think that was like one of Stan's all-time favorite books to work on. I should give it a try, I just... I don't go in for war comics, but I know that there's good stuff in there. I've heard there's good stuff in there, so I should probably give it a read. I just haven't yet. It's a war comic written by Stan Lee, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, he was he was in the war. He was in World War II. Yeah, he was drafted. Yeah, yes, he was. He left. I don't know what he did though. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he actually went to comics. But... No, the only thing I know about it is that he had already he was already working for Marvel Comics or Timely Comics when he went, and then he got his job back when he came back. Yeah. I don't know anything about the actual tenure in the war. I think that he met his uh, wife overseas while... He, no, he got married before he got drafted, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. In the letters page, we learned that Amazing Fantasy and Amazing Spider-Man, keeping the word amazing in that title, was intentional. They wanted to kind of keep a nod back to their roots in Amazing Fantasy in the, in the new oh, title. Okay. Bill Schmuck is a letter writer. Who suggests wow. that Spidey get his own headquarters or spider jet with his insignia on it? Because that would be just awesome. Uh, we also learned that Amazing Fantasy was canceled primarily due to lack of sales. People who read it liked it, but not enough people bought it. And that Spider Man, and this is possibly a retcon on Stan's part, but he does say that Spider Man was intentionally thrown into the last issue of a dying book just to see how readers reacted. And the rest of the letters column was mostly praise for Spidey and the Vulture. Some people even like Spider-Man more than Fantastic Four, although someone did call BS on the mysterious spider sense that never got any proper explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't hold your breath. (laughs) (laughs) It's his magical powers. It's just magic. I mean, I'm I'm happy with the spider sense being ambiguous. Yeah, it's like the force. Oh, and Joy of Joy's Amazing Spider-Man is announced to be going monthly at this point. It looks like Marvel renegotiated their deal with the printers because they canceled Lil Romance and Western Gunsmoke to make room for the Avengers and the X-Men, which also got an ad at the end of the letters page. But they also um, moved three bi-monthly titles to monthly. So Amazing Spider-Man, Modeling with Millie, and Patsy Walker are all now monthly titles, which means that over every two-month period, they're now putting out three extra books compared to what they used to do. Patsy Walker. The Patsy Walker? The Patsy Walker. Yeah, you didn't know about that? I'm kidding. Oh, okay, yeah, because Patsy Walker was like uh, one of their like romance or whatever title things for before she became a uh, wildcat. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. I mean, she, yeah. she's she been around since the 40s. <laughs> so next episode, we're going to be doing Strange Tales Annual 2, Fantastic Four Annual 1, the backup story with Spider-Man, and one or two issues of Amazing Spider-Man. I haven't... We'll see how far we get. One or two. 
And we know Siddle. Any lines? Any lines from uh, these last two issues? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Any uh, any favorite moments or lines? Well, the Sandman talking about how he can harden any part of his body. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. She said. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, That's what she said to the Sandman. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I guess, and we we covered number, uh, I covered number three, saying you know the Superman line. That was good. My favorite part of number three, like I said before, was the uh, the bitch slap and th- toss him out the window. And it's not a line, but it, I, it's just awesome. <laughs> I saw the similar like in number four, like the whole shoelaces for ten cents sale <laughs> cracks me up. And when he's vacuuming Sandman, Sandman's line is, "Oh, that's my that's the line." Oh, oh, yeah. Wouldn't that murder him? Like he's like, you're unscrambling his body. He can unscramble his own body. So. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's not like Spider-Man Spider-Man the cartoon where he puts the man on him, and you don't know how Spider-Man knows he didn't just kill him. Right. Anything else, fellas, before we wrap up? Don't do school and stay in drugs. Yes. Wait. What? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to reach us, you can leave a comment uh, at the uh, podcast po- posting page. I can't talk at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com and this is Amazing Spider-Man Classics. We'll be back to talk to you about more Amazing Spider-Man Classic issues next time. Adios. Stop. Thanks for listening. Good night. So I had to go rescue my oh. wife. She has been very diligently taking care of the baby for the last hour and 45 minutes. Doesn't she know that you have to do a podcast, God? I know, right? Priorities. <laughs> oh.